listening to the Women's Online Wellness Podcast, a podcast all about your health and wellness issues that affect you every day. We want to educate, entertain, and maybe make you giggle a little along the way. No annoying statistics or jargon here, just information you can use every day to be healthier, happier, and less boring. All right, here's your host, OBGYN Dr. Ron Eaker. everybody and welcome to another Thirsty Thursday Women's Online Wellness Facebook Live. Tonight, how eating, how what you put in your gullet can make a huge difference when it comes to COVID-19. So stick with us and then also at the end, if you hang on till the end, I've got a special, uh, I won't call it a contest, but I'm going to tell you about something really special that's going to allow you to get some really neat freebies. So hang on till the end. I promise we're not going to go that long. You'll get to dinner. If you're going to happy hour, wear your mask. So tonight, I really want to talk about some things that are very practical and give you some information that you could start using tomorrow. You actually could start using tonight that will help you improve not only your resistance to COVID-19, which is on everybody's brain right now, but really for the future, really about helping you stay in your best state from here on out. So eating right in a pandemic can make a huge difference. And I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to do about all that as we go through our Thirsty Thursday night. Now, if you've already seen, no, no, I didn't get a haircut. I don't know about you guys, but I got in touch with my regular haircut person, and man, she was she was backed up until Christmas. I mean, it was just kind of crazy. And then I went by one of those drive-by places, you know, the the chain places, and even there, the wait was like an hour and a half. So I said, ah, oh, what the heck? It's just more of the viral shag. I mean, help me out if you guys know any good hairstylists or somebody who can get rid of this and actually make me look better, which is going to be a challenge, going to be a big challenge for every one of you. Send me a note, send me a private message, and we'll see if by this time next week I can be presentable. So let's move on to what we're talking about tonight. Enough of trying to help me in my problems. Now I want to try to help you into being ready for not only the next two or three weeks, but the next 10 or 15 years because everything we talk about tonight as it relates to food applies to not just now but later on. So this is practical not just from the COVID-19 standpoint because I don't know about you but I'm ready to maybe talk about some other things besides COVID-19 but it's still very prevalent very much on everybody's mind so we got to talk about it. So tonight we're going to hit three main areas as it relates to COVID-19 and it relates to food and nutrition. Number one, we're going to talk about depression as it relates to COVID-19, but more importantly, as it relates to diet and more specifically to your gut microbiome, all the little critters flowing around in your bowels. We're going to talk about anti-inflammatory diets. That's gotten a lot of attention and a lot of press recently. That's become the new buzzword, anti-inflammatory. And for a reason, and we'll explain that, it's kind of like, 
I don't know, maybe light was. Remember years ago when everything was light? I mean, there was light dog food. There was light potato chips. I mean, there were light bulbs. I mean, everything was light. Nobody knew what it meant. Nobody had any clue as to what light meant. And then the government stepped in and said, okay, you have to do this, this, and this to be light. And that really didn't help. So it's become a buzzword to say something's anti-inflammatory, and I'll explain a little bit about what that means and really give you the straight skinny on how that relates to diet, in particular how it relates to how you can prevent or at least be less susceptible, we'll say, to COVID-19. And then we're going to talk about a really important topic, and that's nutrition and gut microbiome and immunity. I mean, immunity is so critical. We began to get an understanding of the immune system and the importance of the immune system years ago when we first started understanding about AIDS, you know, acquired immunodeficiency syndrome. So we knew that the immune system was, man, if you ever, ever, ever want to totally freak yourself out, get a good book on immunity on your immune system. It is the most miraculous, amazing part of your body. There is just unbelievable intricacies. And it's just amazing. We could even get out and walk around and still be alive 30, 40, 50, 60, 90, 100 years later. And most of it's due to this immune system that is so miraculous. There's no other way to describe it but miraculous in the way these pieces come together and it protects you. Well, there's some things you can do that can enhance that immune system. We know what happens when it's not any good. We know the problems with all the stuff that arises from things like AIDS. And then, of course, there's all those people who have immune deficiencies and people who have problems with their immune system and all the troubles that arise from that. But gee, that's just us folks walking around doing our normal stuff can either enhance or inflict pain on our immune system. But what a miraculous, unbelievable part of this who we are and the way our physiology works. I tell you, the more and more I learn, I've been doing, you know, I graduated from medical school in 1984. That was actually when there were rotary dial phones. How many of you remember those things? And I can remember being absolutely fascinated with the immune system. Even as, as a young kid, I would read a book. I, I remember reading one of Isaac Asimov. How many of you remember him? A, a writer who used to write uh, fantasy novels. But I, I read a book called The Chemicals of Life when I was, I don't know, maybe nine or ten. Totally blew me away. I was just thinking, wow, this is amazing how these little things come in and identify the bad stuff and chew them up and eat them up. And to this day, 50 years later, I'm still in awe of how that works and how we can be faced with all these problems from the outside and still function as we can. So taking care of your immune system is incredibly important. It's one of the most valuable body systems that you have going for you. So anything we can do to make it better, that's my point. That's what I'm trying to get to. Anything we can do to make it better is only going to work just magnitudes of beneficial effects down the road. So that's what we're going to talk about. I want to first go over a few terms, though, because I'm going to throw out some terms, and I don't want you to mishear. That leads to a lot of confusion, and there's sometimes confusion 
in definitions. Don't mishear what I'm going to say. It's like the, like the old fellow, the story of the old guy who went in. Some of you heard me tell this, but it's worth saying again. The old guy who's probably in his 90s went in for his exam, and he was really in great shape, a little bit hard of hearing, and his doctor did the exam and he, you know, then sent him on his way. Well, the next day, the doctor's walking to lunch, and he sees this old guy, probably 90-something, walking down the street towards him, and he's got two beautiful young blondes on his arms, and he's just strutting down the road. And the doctor looks over and gets him, Frank, what the heck are you doing? And he looks at him and says, well, doc, I'm just doing exactly what you told me to do yesterday in the office. And the doctor looked at him incredulously, and he said, doc, you told me to get a hot mama and be cheerful. And the doctor said, no, no, I said, you've got a heart murmur, so be careful. So, so don't mishear what I'm going to say. I want you to understand these definitions. We've got enough false news and, and misconstrued information out there to not get mixed up with this. The first thing is you hear this term prebiotic and probiotic. I'm going to use both those tonight, and I want you to know the distinction, the difference. A prebiotic, think of it as just the fuel for the organisms that are in your system that are doing good things for you. It's the fuel, things like inulin and certain types of fructose sugars, it's the fuel for the microbes in your gut. So prebiotics are simply the fuel that, it's the gas that makes the microorganisms' engines run. A probiotic is the actual bug. It's the actual organism. It's the microorganism that lives in your gut that makes up what we'll talk about as the microbiome. So the probiotic is actually the organism that you take in oral form to repopulate your gut, the bacteria in your gut. So let's talk about that for a second. Microbiome, you hear microbiome. What the heck is that? Well, let's think about the words. Micro meaning tiny, itsy bitsy, and bio meaning life, so it's tiny life. Well, it's the organisms, including the bacteria, the virus, the fungi, the protozoa, all these little goober-gobbers that are in your gut, including their genetic material. Now, some people, if you really want to get fancy, they'll use the term microbiota. Aha, uh -huh. yeah, you really can impress people at cocktail parties by differentiating the microbiome and microbiota. That's what you ought to, next time you're at a cocktail party and somebody starts talking about the microbiome, because you know they do, you can correct them if they misuse it, because the microbiome is all these organisms with their genetic material, and the microbiota is just the organisms. So they're subtle difference, so you could be a real jerk and try to explain that to them, and then just have everybody leave the room because nobody wants to talk to somebody who's making that distinction at a cocktail party anyway. But anyway, the microbiome are all these massive amounts of organisms that largely live all over the body, but predominantly in your gut. So, why is that important? Well, there are some estimates that we have almost 30 trillion cells in our bodies. Now, granted, some of us have, like Chris Christie, have more than those cells than some other of us. Have you guys seen him lately? 
I mean, he really looked good after the bariatric surgery. He lost a bunch of weight, but I saw him the other day and man, he's, he's really, he's really gained a lot of that back. See, if he'd have come to our program, that would have never happened, but he's gained a lot of that back. So he may have more than 30 trillion cells. Well, a lot of science, a lot of scientists estimate that there are almost 38 trillion bacteria that live in your system. How's that for pre-dinner conversation? 38 trillion, that's a lot. That's even more than a politician can grant in his payroll protection program. I mean, that's a big chunk of, big chunk of number. So there's actually more bacteria. There's more bacterial DNA in your body than your own DNA. How does that toot your horn? So this is nothing to sneeze at, especially if you're not wearing a mask. This is something that's very important and affects all different aspects of your wellness. And that's why I'm even talking about it because we're even learning more and more and more and more every day about the impact that this stuff has. So it's, that's the importance. I don't want you to, to, to I already used sneeze. I, I don't want you to miss the incredible importance of learning about this, importantly, because you can do something about it. That's what's so great about this, is you can actually improve it. You can actually make it better, which indeed is gonna enhance your health in a number of different ways. So, why is the microbiome, these little creepy crawlers that are living in your, your gut so important? Well, there's a several reasons, and I don't want to go too deep into the dung pile of all these things, because I don't want to lose you on that, but just know that when it comes to nutrition, it's very important because they do a number of things. One, they are what we call symbiotes. In other words, they work in conjunction with their organisms. That's as opposed to what we call dysbiosis. You'll hear that term thrown around. And that's when the bacteria content work against you. And those are things that create inflammation that work against your body system. So a good gut microbiome is symbiotic. It works for you. And a couple of ways it does that, and there's a number. One, it takes things like fiber that some of those prebiotics that we talked about, some of that fuel, and it metabolizes it and converts it into chemicals that actually work in your favor. It actually can influence how you absorb nutrients from your food. It actually influences sometimes even how, you hear about carbohydrates and how they've turned into sugar. Well you can actually alter how a particular food, a carbohydrate, is converted into your system and absorbed into your system so it can influence things like weight gain. It creates these short-chain fatty acids which act like glue that, that sometimes will help what we call this gut barrier. See the gut, if you think about the gut, it's just from your mouth to your poopy. It's just, that's a technical term I learned in medical school for any of those who want to go look that up on Google. Actually, I would advise you not to. But this whole tract, think about it, is separate from, it's like a big tube. It's separate from the inside of the body. And it's a good thing because you're putting all kind of garbage in there. 
But the only thing that's separating what's in your gullet, in your stomach, in your intestines from the rest of the body is these one or two cell layers that perform this, this barrier that act as a, a barrier and these microorganisms create these short chain fatty acids which act like the glue that helps to hold those cells together. It creates an environment where these other cells produce all the mucus. If you've ever, and maybe you haven't, but if you've ever cut open a, an intestine, it's very slippery and slimy because it's full of mucus. And that mucus is a very protective barrier. Well, the result, that's a result of these microorganisms helping to produce the chemicals that make that happen. So not only if you, don't, if you have the wrong gut microbes, you don't produce enough mucus, that causes a problem with the barrier. It causes a problem with these what we call tight junctions where these cells come together. How many of you out there heard of this thing called leaky gut syndrome? It's gotten a lot of press in the last several years. And quite honestly, there's still a lot of questions about how it actually manifests. But there's no question now that whenever the gut becomes permeable, whenever stuff can get through the gut easier than it's supposed to, all that garbage gets out on the inside where it was normally protected by the tube. Well, now it's on the inside. And your body goes, whoa, no, 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 no. I don't want that potassium nut sitting in outside of the gut. And I don't, I don't want that bell pepper. I don't want that. That's not supposed to be out here. And your body starts all this kind of reacting, essentially creating what's known as inflammation. So anytime you have this leaky gut, anytime that there are these cells letting all this junk through where it's not supposed to be, it triggers this inflammatory reaction in the body, and we know what a problem that is. We're gonna to touch on that when we talk about the foods that are anti-inflammatory. But that's just a brief, very brief explanation of why that the gut microbiome is important, and why you need to continue to listen, because I'm gonna give you some practical pointers. This isn't just a science class on gut critters. This is about practical stuff you can do tonight and tomorrow to help make life a little bit easier for you and in specifically to help reduce the incidence of infection from COVID-19 and other viruses very similarly. All right, there was a study in the journal of, now get this, there is actually a journal called Brain Behavior and Immunity. How's that for getting real specific? Brain, behavior, and immunity. It'd be like, it'd be like having a, there is a journal called the Journal of Unreproducible Results where people do these crazy studies like why starfish change color or the, you know, the love life of uh, neck and nose wombats. I don't know, I mean, it's crazy stuff. But so there's a journal for everybody. Well, there was a Journal of Brain, Behavior, and Immunity and they published this study that showed that reducing the inflammatory-like bacteria or, or, or increasing the inflammatory-like bacteria in the gut actually increased the likelihood of someone developing clinical depression. Wow, does that open your eyes? If you reduce the anti-inflammatory gut bacteria, the likelihood of you getting depressed or having symptoms of clinical depression goes up. 
Now we're living in a time where we're already seeing anxiety and depression skyrocket. That's due to the chronic stress we're being exposed to. You throw in all this pandemic stuff on top and people are really struggling. People are really having a difficult time. Well, if there's something that we could do that might help reduce that in, in one way, because these are all multifactorial, meaning there's not just one thing that often contributes to something like anxiety or depression. Now, most of you probably think it's that husband who's being a jerk. That may be the one thing that's creating anxiety and depression, but the actual truth is there's multitudes of things doing that, and anything that we can reduce and decrease the likelihood of that being a problem makes sense. So here's one study or several studies that have shown that what you eat influences your gut microbiome, which in turn influences the likelihood of having issues with depression. And here's what's interesting. The more diverse the bacteria in your gut, the better it is because they all perform different functions. It's not so much the, the type of bacteria, it's what it does. And there's broadly four families of bacteria that live in the gut. And these are, it'd be like the four families of the mafia in New York, right? There, there's a bunch of different people under those families and they all have different jobs. And, you know, one guy whacks people and the other guy runs drugs and the other guy runs, you know, makes the hoochie stuff. So they all work under these four families, but they all have different jobs. Well, that's kind of the way the gut bacteria, that was kind of a horrible analogy. I apologize, I didn't mean to offend anybody. But you get my point. It's a bunch of different families of bacteria, and it's not so much what kind of bacteria, it's what they do. And if you get the kind of bacteria that are anti-inflammatory, and because you're eating garbage, you know, you're, you're going to, McDonald's five days a week, or you're eating Twinkies three times a day, or you're, you're, you know, have a, a, just a diet that's full of uh, processed foods and high sugar foods and, and things we know can create inflammation, it starts in the gut. And they, these, my, these microbes will produce these chemicals that have been associated with causing changes in your body and in your brain, which affect things like dopamine and norepinephrine, which are the chemicals associated with depression. So we, we understand the, the, the kind of the, the domino effect, but it all starts with what you're eating. It all starts with what you put in your, your, your mouth that gets down to those bacteria. And he, people who are less depressed have more anti-inflammatory bacteria. People who are more depressed have fewer anti-inflammatory and more inflammatory bacteria. And here's what's fascinating. This really blew me away. There's a direct correlation between the number, the volume of the inflammatory chemicals that are produced and the depth and degree of the depression. So not only is it an onset, not only does it propagate it, but it also can make it worse. So again, just illustrating this amazing interaction between what we put in our mouth and the effect it can have on something like depression and during the time of a pandemic when we're already struggling with so many things that impact that the better you can make your diet towards this anti-inflammatory approach 
the better off you're going to be in getting rid of things like depression. Not to say that's going to be the whole picture. None of it. There's never one thing that's going to take care of any of these problems. There's always many things. So any little tweak that you can do is going to pay off for you. There's a couple of other studies that looked at not only depression, but anxiety. And we also know, and this was a study, uh, this was in JAMA, uh, Journal of American Medical Association, that folks who change their diets to favor the anti-inflammatory diet, and we're gonna, I promise you we're gonna talk, I know you're all sitting out there going, well, what is an anti-inflammatory diet then, nut cake? Tell me something that means something. Well, we gotta get there. We're, it's, we're building the house, so just stick with me. We're getting there. I'm, I'm, I'm building the tension because I want you to understand why it's important. And then when I hit you with it, it's really gonna make sense. So people who had these anti-inflammatory diets actually had lower levels of anxiety as compared to people who were not. So we know, and, and again, these are things like lower processed foods, high sugar foods, flour-based foods. Those are the bad guys. Now, I don't think that comes as a surprise because they've been bad guys for a lot of stuff we've talked about. But this is a particular scenario where they're really a bad guy because those types of foods tend to increase the inflammatory production of chemicals by these gut bacteria, which then translates into your system and all these different effects. So what should you be eating in the time of a COVID-19 pandemic or any time? The Eker 5. Eker 5. If you'll remember these five things, you can't go wrong. I'm going to make it that simple. Number one, eat balanced meals. I know this is something you learned in kindergarten, but why aren't you doing it? Well, you got to eat balanced meals. God gave us a cornucopia to choose from because it's important that we get a variety of things. You can't, there is no one magic food, no matter what Facebook ads tell you. There's no one horrible food except probably sugar-sweetened beverages, soda. I think that's like drinking gasoline and, uh, for most folks. So balance. Number two, low saturated fat and low trans fat. Notice I didn't say low fat. I said low saturated fat and low trans fats. And those are largely processed foods and foods that, uh, that have a lot of uh, fat added to them in the form of things like uh, margarine, which is a preservative. Low sugar, that goes without saying. I mean, please, 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 if you don't know by now that sugar is the bad guy, then I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. But sugar is one of the most inflammatory chemicals that can enter into our system. So get rid of the sugar shaker. You know, if you're one of those who adds sugar to everything, just stop. Just, just stop. Just as Betty Ford, or who was it? Was it Betty Ford? Or maybe it was Barbara Bush who said, just say no. Maybe that was Nancy Reagan. I think it was Nancy Reagan who said, just say no. Not to drugs. Well, say no to drugs too, but say no to sugar. So balanced, low saturated fat, low trans fat, low sugar, high fiber. 
our friend fiber. Fiber is the best prebiotic around because that is fuel for the little buggers in your, in your gut that creates these good chemicals. If you don't get enough fiber, you're not gonna produce these good chemicals. You're not gonna feed all those little, poor little microorganisms. So you gotta get enough fiber, in, and, and that could be either soluble or insoluble fiber. And say, so what is fiber? Fiber is you know, the covering of fruits. It's the, the outer covering of celery and other vegetables. Uh, it could be the husks of seeds. I mean, you all intrinsically kind of know what fiber is. Beans have a lot of fiber in them. You can go anywhere and Google fiber, what foods had fiber and get a list immediately of good fiber foods. So it not only helps your microorganisms, but it keeps you regular. I mean, go out and find something that looks and tastes like tree bark and eat it because it's probably good for you. And if nothing else, it'll keep you regular. And that's important. So if I had to characterize, and I hope this isn't controversial, but I've, I've really done some research on this. If I had to characterize a type of, a generalized type of diet that is accepted by most individuals as a anti-inflammatory diet, and you all know now what that means. All that means is it provides the fuel for the appropriate microorganisms to cultivate, to have little microorganism sex in your gut, and then you take all the microorganism poop and that is what turns into the good stuff. So we're depending on microorganisms being regular also. So that's, that's where all this stems from, is, is kind of the Mediterranean diet, the Mediterranean way of eating. And that's something that's been around for a number of years. And I hesitate to even use the term because there's confusion about it and there's a lot of debate. Some people will say, well, They'll, they'll define it one way and say, well, that's not appropriate. Well, it may not be the best for weight loss. It may not be the best for your HDL cholesterol. So we can't make any broad spectrum saying this is the best. Anybody who says this is the best diet is either just wrong or they're trying to sell you something. So in general, the Mediterranean style of eating, and I'm going to get to specifics on that, is probably recognized as far as the most anti-inflammatory. How do we know that? Well, we know that by studies that look at the gut bacteria and the volume of these good things like butyrate that they produce. We can actually measure that and they've done that. How'd you like to have that job? Oh, I collect poop all day long and test it and that's my job. Well, thank goodness there are people who do that because we need that done. And they can actually measure, you, you, they, they feed these people, they do these studies where they feed these people very specific diets, and then they collect their poop and they measure these chemicals in there. So that's how they know that eating certain ways can do certain things. We also can measure inflammation in general in the body. There's some blood tests that can measure that, like C-reactive protein and sed rate and interleukin-6 and some other measurements that can check that. So just let it be said, the science is real that a diet like this has been shown to be anti-inflammatory based on the definition that I just told you. So uh, we know it helps with cardiovascular disease. That's well proven. There's evidence that it might lower the incidence of Alzheimer's disease, uh, Parkinson's, type 2 diabetes. What do all these things have in common? 
besides things you don't want to get, they all have inflammation as a part of their mechanism, as a part, a contributing factor to the disease state. Not a coincidence. Uh, and we know that one of the reasons this works is because of this effect on the gut bacteria. There's also, and this was really important for me because I'm getting a lot older, there's evidence that eating this way can actually reduce some of the things associated with aging, like decreased mobility, uh, some forms of cognitive impairment. Uh, they use the, the politically correct term of deteriorating body functions. Uh, us in the real world call that uh, decreased sex drive. But anyway, there's evidence that eating this way can interfere with that rapidity of that process. We can't reverse it. You know, there's no such thing as anti-aging, but we might be able to slow the process down. So, what constitutes this diet? It's really quite simple. Uh, it's very rich in vegetables, uh, fruits, and predominantly fruits with the skin on it because you're getting all the fiber there. Uh, seafood, poultry, some of the healthy fats. What are healthy fats? Well, those are things like PUFAs, P-U-F-A, PUFA. -A, Puf now, I'm not saying PUKAs. Remember those little white puka beads? How many of you had puka beads when you were in high school? If you're as old as I am, some of you did. Uh, these were the little, uh, so I'm not saying puka beads, I'm saying PUFAs, polyunsaturated fatty acids. And most of you have heard of things like omega-3 fatty acids, omega-6 fatty acids. Those are okay, those are good. Those are unsaturated fats. And then of course the the star is the monounsaturated fats, and that's things like olive oil. And olive oil is a big part of the Mediterranean diet. That's all they cook in. None of this corn oil, canola, or soy, they're all using olive oil because it's everywhere. That's all, there's olive trees all over the place. This extra virgin cold-pressed olive oil is wonderful for your cooking, for, you know, just replace butter with it. That's what the Mediterranean diet includes. So stock up on fresh fruits, especially with the peel. Eat them with the peel. How many times do I have to say that? Vegetables, and yeah, there's good vegetables and there's bad vegetables. You, you go on, you, we've discussed many times about the glycemic index, you know, how a potato will shoot your blood sugar up and asparagus won't. So yeah, let's, when I say vegetables, you kind of have to distinguish which ones are the good and the bad, and we spent a whole several videos on that. Legumes, whole grains, nuts. Uh, as I said, get rid of the butter and add the olive oil. Instead of using salt, use herbs and spices. Eat fish and poultry a couple of two or three times a week. Uh, red meat, uh, limited two or three times a month if possible. And for goodness sake, avoid sugar. I mean, that's just really, that should be a given now. So hopefully that gave you some insight as to what we're talking about as an anti-inflammatory diet. And again, don't send me any emails about, you know, the, immune, the Mediterranean diet doing this, that, or the other. I'm talking right now with blinders as it relates to this anti-inflammatory thing. We also know 
that a anti-inflammatory diet improving the gut microbiome absolutely influences your immune system. I mentioned at the very outset how critical the immune system is, especially now when we're, I am trying to get rid of the virus. We're trying not to catch it. We're trying to protect ourselves from it. Anything you can do to enhance your immune system is only smart. It only makes sense. Did you know, little fun fact to tell your little homeschooled seventh grader, that 70% of the immune cells in your body are in your gut. Bet you didn't know that. 70% of the immune cells are in the gut. And it only makes sense. Think about it. How does all, what, all right, the function of the immune system is to protect you. It recognizes foreign garbage and chews it up and gets rid of it. How does all this foreign gar garbage, the majority of it, get into your system? Through the gullet. You'd think about things we eat. They're covered in bacteria and protozoa and viruses. I mean, I don't care how much you wash it, it's full of that stuff. So our body has developed this amazing mechanism to protect us. And that's why the gut has all this immune cells, these, this, this army of immunity is just sitting there waiting to say, uh, you know, it's like the stuff coming down the assembly line of your intestines and the immune system is going, that's okay, no, we gotta eat that, that's all right, that's okay, no, that's gonna kill us, we ought to do something about that. So it's just an, an, an amazing interrelationship between the immune system and what we put in our mouth, in our microbiome. And that's, that's why we've got to be very careful when we do things like take antibiotics. Many of us think, oh, well, antibiotics are just kind of benign. We take them to get rid of that sore throat, even when sometimes we don't need them. Well, the antibiotics are not specific to just the little goober gobbers who are chewing up the back of your throat. It cleans out bacteria and other parts too, including the gut. So anytime you take an antibiotic, you're affecting your gut microbiome. Now, luckily, because we are miracles and we are amazing people and we are just perfectly made, the gut reconstitutes its microbiome pretty quickly after an antibiotic. But how many of you had diarrhea when you took an antibiotic? Mm -hmm. It's because you wiped out the gut microbiome. Uh, how, how many of you have taken an antibiotic and gotten a yeast infection? Mm -hmm. Most of you, because I'm treating you every day, that's because the antibiotic wiped out the microbiome. It took the normal bacteria and created this mismatch and imbalance. So the next time you take an antibiotic, just make sure that it's, it's for a good reason because it's not innocuous. It's gonna have a systemic effect, especially as it relates to your immune system. All right. Oh, this is something I found that was really specific as it relates to the immune system. There's a number of studies looking at animals and humans that showed that improving your gut microbiome, again, this anti-inflammatory types of bacteria in the microbiome, secondary to a healthy, normal diet, actually improved the immune system in fighting off lung infections. 
pretty important right now in COVID-19. It actually produced these chemicals that influenced the immune response and it modulated it, it balanced it because too big an immune response is what's, what's a problem in eating up all this lung tissue. Your body overreacts and it causes these inflammatory cytokines. You've heard the term cytokine storm and it chews up all these little lung cells. Well, if you have a healthy gut microbiome, you produce these chemicals that actually keep that immune, it balance, it's just like a Goldilocks. It's not too bad, it's not too light, it's just right. So we know from multiple studies with influenza and other viruses that a healthy gut microbiome reduces the likelihood of severe lung infections. Extremely important in this age of uh, COVID-19. So one last time, let me emphasize the Mediterranean diet way of eating, and that's a high consumption of monounsaturated olive oil, uh, legumes, unrefined cereals. So grains are okay as long as they're unrefined. When we start making flour and we start refining the grains, they lose all the nutrients and that's what creates a lot of problems. So unrefined grains, fruits and vegetables, a moderately high consumption of fish, occasional chicken, um, mostly cheese and yogurt, but dairy is generally okay. Uh, moderate, this is one part I like, moderate wine consumption. Now you gotta understand what moderate means and generally that's one glass for women and two glasses for men. Sorry, it's just what the science says. And a low consumption of non-fish meat products, meaning you know cow and such. But you also got to remember, and I'm going to close with this, you also got to remember that this is just one picture. When we're talking about the gut microbiome, we know that stress alters the gut microbiome. I mean, what's, what doesn't stress affect? We know exercise improves the gut microbiome. And again, when I'm talking about bad and good, it's related to its inflammatory potential. So exercise causes a, an abundance of anti-inflammatory bacteria in the gut. Good sleep. I bet you didn't even know sleep had anything to do with that, but good sleep has been shown to increase the anti-inflammatory effect. Getting outside, doing things to reduce your stress. Uh, I mentioned earlier about probiotics, and I haven't spent a lot of time on that because the reality is there's not a lot of utility in the probiotics. The studies are very, very um, inconsistent. There are a couple of places where probiotics, remember that's the actual organisms, can be beneficial. After taking antibiotics to help repopulate that gut population, I have a lot of women who get yeast infections after antibiotics and we put them on the probiotics and it helps. Uh, people who have inflammatory bowel disease, irritable bowel syndrome, uh, ulcerative colitis, any kind of active inflammatory disease of the bowel that comes from many different ways uh, can actually uh, be benefited by some types of probiotics. And the more I researched this, the more confused I got because literally you have to take the isolated condition and match it with the type of probiotic 
to really even come close to showing any kind of perceived benefit. So just going down to, to uh, the drugstore or the health food store and buying an off-the-shelf off the probiotic, quite honestly, probably is not doing you a whole lot of good. You're going to be a lot better off by adopting a healthy diet. The microbiome for people is almost as identifiable as a fingerprint. Each person, there's some similarities in families, but each person is so unique and so different. So, for example, one probiotic might have eight active types of bacteria, and it's going to affect one person very differently from the other, depending on what their natural, uh, their natural microbiome is. So, the take-home message is there's some very isolated scenarios where taking a probiotic or a uh, prebiotic, well now prebiotics are a little different, I'll tell you about that in a second. A probiotic will actually be a benefit. Now remember we said prebiotics are simply the fuel that helps to stimulate bacterial growth, good bacterial growth. See though, that can be okay. So taking a prebiotic to me makes a little more sense but the reality is if you're getting adequate fiber in your system, you probably don't even need to do that. So, I think that's covered pretty much everything that I, I wanted to cover tonight. Uh, I'm going to actually post a couple of brand names of the prebiotics and probiotics that I've used with folks who've had yeast infections, for example, just so you have access to that. Um, and I did want to, I did mention, I did want to do one further thing. We are real close, real close to hitting a real milestone as far as the number of folks that are in our community. And I've said all along, I'm never going to make this public. I always want this to be a private community because I want that, I want that uh, connection where people don't have to worry about whatever they say or do or quite frankly whatever I say or do just going out to the world. This is a very specific group of folks who have specific interests but we're real close to hitting a, a real milestone in those numbers. And this is not about the numbers, this is about people that I know that you know that would benefit from being a part of this community. So what I'm gonna do is when we hit this milestone, and I'll tell you, it'll be our 2,000th member, which is just amazing to me. And, and it's just incredible that we're seeing folks who really share these things passions for uh, learning these things and improving their health and becoming uh, what I call VIPs or uh, very important patients and very important uh, people and they understand the other VIP value and prevention. So these are all people who have similar thoughts and feelings and I know you know some other folks who might share that. So whoever becomes, there'll probably be two two of these things that I'll, I'll do. If someone recommends the person who ends up being the 2,000th person, or if a person just asks to be a member and ends up being the 2,000th person, I've got something really special that I want to do for them. And it's going to involve some, some personal consults. It's going to involve access to a special course that I have put together on menopause. Uh, and hormones. So I can't, I don't want to tell you how close we are, but we're close. So if you're the person who either submits the name of the person who ends up being the 2000s, or if you're the 2000s person that ends up joining our group, 
then we're going to have a, a real special thing for you. It's just a, a little way again for me to, to give back to say thank you for being a part of this, giving me hope from this interaction that we're all going to be great. We're all going to come out of this and we're going to blossom and we're going to skyrocket. We're going to viral spiral straight to new heights once this is all over with. We just need to, it really put the pedal to the metal now in our brains because if you're like me, you're getting to a place where it's just getting a little bit nuts with regards to the stay-at-home stuff and not being able to get out and do it and being worried about taking care of people and bad things happening and being pulled in 15 directions. So I get it. I'm with you. I understand that. It's getting a little bit crazy and people are getting a little bit nutty. Now's the time to focus. Now's the time to really go back and, and think about those things that we talked about early on about figuring out about how to take care of you and your family, how to do something kind for somebody, whether you know them or not, and then how to figure out how you're going to come out of this transformed and how you're going to look back on this time and say, yeah, that's when, that's when things change and they change for the better. That's what I want for each and every one of you. So that's all for tonight. Thank you so much for being part of this. I hope it's been meaningful. Again, I read every single comment try to respond to every comment. Thank you for all the interaction. And until we see you next time, make healthy choices. Thank you for listening to the Women's Online Wellness Podcast. To join the conversation, access show notes, and discover bonus content, Join our private Facebook community by sending a request to Women's Online Wellness. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to hear more, just head over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and leave a review. For questions about the podcast or to get more information, email Dr. Eaker at r-e-a-k-e-r at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening, and until next time, choose to be healthy.